this Johnny Silvercloud, the soul brother, number one of a kind. Got some for your soul and some for your mind. Welcome to our podcast. Here I have my guest, Stephen James. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, thanks for having me on. My first time on the podcast. So this is fun. Uh, but yeah, so I'm... Uh, I'm a former Air Force officer myself, uh, and I have a background in astrophysics and developmental psychology. Oh, wow, well, that's some good stuff. Yeah, so uh, one of the things we're going to talk about today is, um, is Donald Trump and his uh, rise to power, so to speak, within the Republican Party. On top of that, his supporters and stuff. And uh, from a social psychological standpoint, see, what was your take on Donald Trump or, you know, how, how he came to be. Uh, so it's, he, he's, a, he's an interesting fellow. I can't really ascertain, um, I don't think anyone really can, what his real purpose or motivations are. I, I think there's a question of, my big question for him is, does he really believe the stuff that he's saying? Uh, and I think that speaks a lot to just how bad of a person he actually is. Um, if he believes a lot of the discriminatory things that he says, I actually think that's not quite as bad as if he's aware of what he's saying as a means to gain power. Okay, so what you're saying is that um, if he's a person who engages in dog whistle politics, you know, like uh, he's racist by, he's a punch clock racist, so to speak, mm -hmm. that's better than um, him actually believe you know really being bought into what he what he says uh no i think the i know the, the other way around i think if he's because he has so much influence over other people as a result of both um the amount of money he has and uh his access to the media that if he's actually been indoctrinated into this discriminatory culture in somehow then it's a little more understandable uh, because he is equally as indoctrinated or, or brainwashed as the rest of the uh, rest of his fan base is. If he actually knows what he, on the other hand, if he knows what he's doing and is continuing to do it anyway and increasing the rates of hate crimes in the country and is only doing it so he can increase his power, then that seems to be more vicious and more malicious. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll have to agree with you on that one. If a, if a person, if there's a politician who's engaging in dog whistle politics just to get by, just to uh, get ahead in life, so to speak, I do believe that's far more dangerous than the actual, you know, um, you know, racist who's totally bought in. And yeah, um, yeah um, why is that though? Like, um, you, from your standpoint, like, will make, you know, the methodical person who planned it, who plot plans it, plans this out to be more dangerous than a person who's uh, bought in. Uh, yeah. So, so to get back to your original question, uh, your original question was, was psychologically speaking, what, what's contributed to his rise to power, uh, you know, and, and a lot of it comes down to the, the people that are being influenced by his rhetoric. Uh, if you look at if you look at uh, the the demographics of the people that are supporting him, they're largely white rural Americans that have a very limited education, right? 
that shouldn't True. be unsurprising to everybody. Uh, that's usually the case throughout history, that the people that are most influenced by discriminatory thoughts are usually the least educated and most isolated from diversity. Um, if you look at the people that are that are being influenced, when you talk about rural white people, likely it's the case that they're in very uh, exclusive communities. They're probably other less educated white people. So they don't have the exposure to diversity uh, in terms of interacting with people of different colors. So it's very easy to establish these discriminatory racist paradigms about people you don't interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. Oh yeah, I, I'll totally agree with that. Um, one thing that cures, that can like, you know, one of the, one of the things that cures um, racism and bigotry, systemic institutional racism and bigotry would be exposure. Mm -hmm. And uh, those who are the least exposed to other people, people different than themselves, are the ones who are less likely to, uh, well, they're more likely to be racist and stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, what were you about to say? So, uh, you know, so, so in, in that vein, so you have this, this uneducated population, it's fairly isolated. Uh, and in connection with that, we already know that, that the, the kind of richer becoming richer, poor becoming poor is a, is an economic fact of the country at the moment. And so when you talk about not just the middle class, but now you're talking about less educated and socioeconomically disadvantaged people um, that are looking for explanations. Why am I working so hard and not getting anywhere? Um, and so a lot of that frustration with a person's own life ends up manifesting itself in terms of just looking for any explanation they can or, or solidarity with what um, with what's going on in their life. And when you've got someone out there that's saying, well, you know what the problem with our country is? It's it's the, the those lazy black people or those immigrant Mexicans or those terroristic Muslims. Um, it's something for, for that group of people to latch on to. Uh, rather than focusing their attention on the real sources of their uh, economic woes or their prosperity woes in, in a broader sense, uh, it gives them something to, it allows them to try to understand their world. And it's, it's not an accurate understanding, but it gives them some ability to explain it, even if it's not true. Yes. Uh, one of my old friends, his name is uh, Tim. Tim Druck, he's still a friend of me. He's not, and he's not old anyway. Um, he pointed out the fact that Point, you made a point on the fact that, like, in regards to conservatism, um, is more like a conservative is more likely to simplify things and, um, you know, not engage in critical thinking. And uh, of course, a liberal is more likely to engage in critical thinking, suffer the, possibis the possibility of um, over analysis. Now, mm -hmm. do you believe that's act that that's correct in regards to how? Um, you know, uh, stereotypes and, uh, you know, and uh, interpersonal perceptions exist? Yeah, uh, so I, I think there's there's definitely a reason why uh, not just Trump, but other demagoguery uh, from from the conservative side tends to have a greater impact on conservatives than it does on liberals. Uh, there's a great TED talk out there that I would encourage everyone to listen to um, by a psychologist named Jonathan Haidt. Hmm. Uh, and he talks about the uh, very, very good man. He's written uh, several books and I recommend all of them. Uh, but in that TED talk, he, he speaks about the, the moral, it's called the moral roots of uh, liberalism and conservatism. Uh, and in that, he talks about five different factors that determine morality. And one of the 
or two of the major factors that differ between liberals and conservatives in terms of morality is that conservatives place a much higher weight on uh, order and authority, like that there has to be structural order and authority to, to society, and that's actually a moral paradigm for them. Uh, and also, um, uh, so it's moral authority, oh, excuse me, order and authority. They're, they are the two separate ones. So society must be ordered and structured, and if it becomes unordered and disorderly, then then that's that's a moral quandary. And the other thing is, is respect of authority, which is much higher among conservatives. So when you combine those two, conservatives are looking for an authority figure to put order to things. A that's a moral paradigm. Yeah, uh, or a dictator. Uh, right? yeah. Depends on, on how you're looking. So because they're because they're looking for that kind of moral clarity in their life, they're more susceptible to to these demagogues that speak about exclusion and and giving Fascism. a very yeah, which which is a way of giving order to the world. Is it is it a good way to give order order to the world? No, but it is a way, and it's a very simplistic, easy way to get there. It doesn't require, oh, as you said, it doesn't require a great deal of critical thought or questioning. And again, questioning of authority. Yeah. Um, one thing that uh, I always found it kind of interesting, like when a conservative, like when a person who is a conservative speak, they'll say, uh, they'll, they have this very, this deep hatred of uh, President Obama. And, um, I was an adult during the Bush and Obama years. Well, Obama, obviously. And um, I saw this this general, like, submit to authority thing with George Bush. You know, like, whether he was right or wrong or looked silly or stupid or whatever it may be. Um, and, I, you know, I don't see this with uh, President Obama from their side of town. You know, like, say, for example, um, there's this um, country group called the Dixie Chicks. If I'm correct, there's, there's like a trio of women who are country singers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, back in the day, they, they said something like, you know, we're not exactly proud of the actions of George Bush. And um, as, you know, free folks, you know, they're not government officials. They can say whatever they're musicians, entertainment personnel. They can say whatever they want. And pretty much the the conservative industry just demolished them. You know, and uh, now we live in a day and age where, you know, Fox News corresponding and call, you know, a president, you know, the president of the United States a bitch on national television and uh, things like this, call him a punk and all types of stuff. And um, I was wondering how come if 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 their thing is to, uh, you know, rever in authority, you know, rever, you know, authority figure, which I've seen them do before. How come they don't do that with uh, President Obama? Shouldn't that, I mean, shouldn't one thing be good for the goose and to the gander as well? How come they change it up there? So, so it's a, that's actually a really interesting point. Um, I never really thought about that specifically, but if you were to frame it in that same context of, of seeking simplistic explanations, um, you know, there's, there's been a concerted effort to create specific narratives in this country um, and, and around the world to help explain complex issues. Uh, you know, and in this case, the, the polarizing nature of politics, uh, conservatives and Republicans are good, Democrats and progressives are bad. And 
again, that that gives a certain order and stability that doesn't require a great deal of uh, critical thinking about it. And so the talking points about Obama being bad uh, began even before his presidency started. I mean, they, they started to create this narrative that he can do no right. Um, and, and you still see that even presently. I mean, if you look at the recent, the gun legislation, the criticisms of his gun policy began before he said to everybody what his gun policy was going to be. Um, and so it, it's a way of defaulting to certain authorities, but the default, the authority is the authority of cons the conservative narrative, which is that progressives and Democrats are bad, conservatives and, and Republicans are good. And so there doesn't need to be a lot of questioning that goes into that. It's, wow. it's in fact better if there's not questioning, because then you're adhering more to the authority. You know what? You got a point there because a lot of times, uh, you know, you, you hear a lot of this with the uh, the gun debate, right? Where um, one thing that stops a good guy with the gun is a bad guy with the gun, and uh, you see a lot of this. You know, they're good guys. We're bad. You know, I mean, we're we're good guys. They're bad guys. Instead of like critical thought, saying that everyone is complex and yada yada yada. You know, and um, the good guy bad guy thing. Like say for example, when Donald Trump stated that he would he would you know, um, pretty much torture, maim and mutilate, you know, the families of alleged terrorists. I'll say alleged because you don't know if they're terrorists or not until, you know what I mean? Anyway, he'll go that far. He, you know, he'll do the, he thinks he, he can do the Jack Bauer 24 thing in real life. Mm -hmm. And um, the problem with that is that we see, if, we, if you see yourself as a good guy, not on, not by action, not by behavior, but just because you're the good guy, you see these other people as bad guys because not by action, but they're just bad guys. And that means any behavior I do, good or bad, will be okay because I am infinitely the good guy. And anything mm -hmm. they do, you know, good or bad, you know, they'll be they're the bad guy regardless. So, you know, and that's really that's a really dangerous uh, line of thinking. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. So, so that type of uh, uh, inherent or implicit goodness is always a problem. And that's a consequence of, you know, the social identity theory, uh, something you and I talk about a lot, the, the brown eyes, blue eyes experiment or the Stanford prison experiment, which is my group is better than your group. And anything I do in the name of my group is inherently better than what you do for your group, even if they're the exact same actions. Yeah. And overall, like we as people should be we should be judged based on our actions and our behaviors versus, you know, um, and then, you know, we should start from there and, you know, in order to determine someone's yeah. good or bad, because that is some dangerous shit. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there, there are good examples of that. I mean, if you just look at in terms of even terminology, the word terrorism, right, this has been uh, this has come up a lot recently uh, in terms of domestic or, or white Christian terrorism, right? It tends not to be labeled as terrorism uh, because it's not a Muslim. You're not lying there. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, uh, and and I, I think that really speaks back to this thing that the things my group may do are inherently better. Even if they're still bad, they're not as bad as the things you can do, even if the actions are the same. I mean, the, the, the church shooting in South Carolina uh, yeah, last summer, right? Dylan Roof. He was the guy had a political manifesto by every definition of terrorism. He was, and yet it wasn't particularly labeled as such. Yes, um, you know 
me myself, uh, I, I identify terrorism as um, folks who wish to engage in, um, you know, sociological, like engage, you know, to uh, place a, mass, a group of people in a collective group in fear to in order to change a social political behavior, mm -hmm. right? And um, you know, using fear as a tactic to change behavior and so like of a group. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty much terrorism without question. And this guy, you know, Dylan Roof, he, he he thinks that black folks are like left and right all over the place, raping the crap out of white folks and doing all this stuff and um, to change his behavior, you know, pretty much, you know, change his behavior. He, he shot up an entire church and left someone alive to witness it. Like, you know, intentionally, like with, by design, he did that. And um, Fox News and friends and all these folks are like, I don't think he's white at all. You know, like this, this denial, this denial is just, it's just mind boggling. And um, I, I always say, man, I, I believe that if Fox News existed in Martin Luther King's time, Jim yeah. Crow would still exist. I really do believe that Jim Crow would still exist if Fox News existed in the 1950s, 1960s. Yeah, yeah, because they've been they've been fighting for irrationality uh, of things. As you know, and, and this is actually something I wanted to mention before with the what we were talking about prior. Also, is you know I'm not anti-conservative or anti-Republican. Uh, in, in the sense of what conservatism means, which means a, a valuing of certain traditions or, or which is not which is not inherently a bad thing. Or even if you look at in terms of what I was talking about, the, the moralistic roots, valuing order and authority is not inherently a bad thing either. Um, what's happened over the last well, 40 or 50 years, uh, well, 40, about 40 years, um, is that the Republican Party has slowly transitioned, and I think Donald Trump is the true manifest, the end manifestation of all this. That that that, that Republican narrative is to deny uh, evidence and science and reason in in lieu of pure raw emotion, and that they've so been so effective. This they've legitimized the position that to deny evidence and facts and to just speak on raw emotion is a legitimate political perspective. And if you want to be an quote unbiased uh, person or reporter, you have to respect that view that denying evidence oh, and science <laughs> is is the only that you have to respect that position. No, you don't. Uh, uh, you know, a Republican and conservative could be a Republican and conservative and still base their opinions on fact and evidence rather than how I feel. Certainly you could do that. Yes, um, they, they make a whole lot of emotional appeals, which is a logical fallacy. And as a debate technician, as I call myself, uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, emotional appeals. But yes, um, yeah, um, I wanted to mention that, um, you know, once I, like, you know, in my head, I have uh, this running question. What is harder to defend, um, conservative politics or rap music, you know, mainstream rap? And um, in mainstream rap, there's like, you know, there's it's selected by, you know, you know industry A&Rs, and they, I do believe they intentionally make people look stupid. And um, it's really hard to defend. I can't defend a lot of this Laffy Taffy, Superman, that oh shit. I mean, I just can't. Um, so, you know, in a black, you know, in the black community is largely attacked through rap music, through mainstream rap music. So 
Um, so I, I sit there and see this parallel of this anti-intellectualism that takes place between mainstream rap and conservatives. I, I, I wonder who is harder to, like which one is easier or harder to defend, you know? And um, in, conservative, in, in conservative logic, there's a lot of um, conservative politics, I'll say, there's a lot of anti-intellectual take, anti-intellectualism that's taking place. And um, I'm not a fan of that. And you're right, and you hit the nail on the head. Um, myself, I'm not anti-conservative, you know, like, you know, in the spirit of the uh, the phrase, you know, I'm anti, you know, um, smart guy hate, you know, I'm, I'm anti, you know, um, if you don't like logic and reason, I'm against you and that's what I dislike. I'm anti-irrationality, you know, and um, they they cradle, they, they coddle and cradle it like, you know, like a baby, they, they love it. And it's, it's troubling because our politics in America would work if everything was grounded on um, science, logic, and reason. You know, that's the actual intent, the intent of having two parties or uh, having discourse between two groups um, is, is is for folks to collect facts and then go from there. But they don't really do that and it's it's frightening. I remember um, like a while back, like, you know, a while back ago, you mentioned something about how um, Fox News, you know, use Fox News as a template, but Fox News use a lot of uh, like a psychological priming and cues to um, engage in, um, you know, in a, you know the, the fear aspect of uh, the fear portion of the back of the mind. You know, like the colors they use and the musical tones and the tone of voices and the, the word selection, the phrase selection of the people that they have on, on air and things like that. And uh, that was pretty interesting, man. I, I really do. I mean, I, I get I, I, you, you gather farther, far better than I do, but because um, you study it. But, uh, but yeah, I can clearly see them doing that because some of the phrases they say, like loaded questions and and uh yeah it's it's rough um one thing one, one edge of uh the anti-intellectualism that's taking place is the anti-political correctness um thing that they're uh uptaking right now what's your take on that uh the the anti-intellectualism or the anti uh, political correctness yeah, well no to me I, I see i see it as a branch of uh it's a branch off of the anti-intellectual intellectualism tree the anti-political correctness yeah so so you could say so the the anti-intellectualism i think is where a lot of it originated where where they tend to claim that like there's all these university professors that that don't interact with the real world out there uh and, and they establish the paradigm as though a university professor all they do is read papers written by each other and sleep in their office and then go and, and never go home, right? They are very much engaged in the real world. They, they eat, they sleep, they go to the gas station, they, they go out with their family. Uh, and, and oftentimes they're more well-versed because they do a lot of uh, scientific studies and international engagement and, and uh, have, a, have a broad understanding. Uh, but there's been that anti-intellectualism that's built up around particularly universities. Uh, and a large part of that's driven by, and again, the the conservative narrative that's been pushed is that emotionality can replace facts and evidence. And so when you get into university setting, in terms of like indoctrination into liberal thinking, well, in many respects, yes, that does happen because the second you are faced 
with scientific studies and evidence and facts and economics uh, history, some of those conservative thought processes inherently fall out of the way because of the narrative that's been built up. So in some senses, yeah, it becomes more liberal because you're faced with facts and evidence. Oh <laughs> so, my God. Yeah, um, with that point you just made right there, um, I hear this so much. Folks say that, um, you know, academia has a liberal bias, you know, and it's like, no, that's, that's, that's incorrect. It's the fact that history and science, you know, oh, yeah, I'm gonna phrase this here. Uh, it's not the fact that academia has a liberal bias, it's that the liberals actually use objective facts and informations and, you know, and the scientific logic and reason this is what they're using. So it's not the fact that, it's not the fact that the, the industry or the, the, you know, the, the group identity or the school is liberal or, you know, thinking is liberal. The thinking is not liberal. It's the fact that liberals think. So intelligence is not a liberal thing. It's, it, you can be intelligent and you can gather intelligence and be a, a conservative as well. But, you know, that really blows my mind. Like, say, for example, um, one part of that is how, you know, conservatives make like anti-racism a liberal thing. And it's like, this is something that, you know, anti-racism, anti-sexism, these are things that everyone can get behind. But mm -hmm. since you refuse to get behind it, it will by association be a liberal thing because only liberals are doing it. You know what I mean? It's almost like yeah. a gun, you know, a gun is not a conservative thing, but I guess by association um, is, you know, they associate it with, you know, uh, conservatives, which is false. It's an, it's, it's an object or a thing. It's yeah. not. So, but the problem is that <laughs> using intelligence and science, calling that a liberal thing, man, you know, these conservatives are in a way getting outgunned every wake of the moment by um, folks speaking such as like such as us. It's, yeah. it's totally baffling. And in a, in a large country, a good example of that is is our, our foreign policy. Um, if you look at what Ted Cruz and several other Republican positions are, is, is let's carpet bomb the crap out of them Muslims over there, right? Is basically the answer. Now, if you look at that in context, or you look at the history, or, or even arming rebel groups, how, how, yes. how has arming rebel groups in the past in the Middle East worked out for us? Well, each time we arm them, 10 years later, we have to go fight that group we gave the weapons to. And when you carpet bomb large populations, or, or even when you use guided munitions, they tend to go off, they still tend to, to kill civilians. Um, are you solving the problem? How has the last 15 years of dropping bombs helped the situation in the Middle East? And so again, there's a raw emotion that, that yeah, they're bad, so we need to just kill them and attack them. But there's not a look at like, okay, how effective? What's been the effectiveness of this strategy? It's just more, let's do that. And so when it, then when you turn around and you say, well, this strategy really isn't working that effectively, we need to come up with a, a new plan. They immediately turn around and they say, oh, you're one of those liberal people that just wants to wants total nonviolence and dismantle the military entirely. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it hasn't worked. So let's we got to do something different. Uh, but that inherently then becomes a liberal position because unless unless you are acting on that raw emotion, then you're being liberal. Yeah. That's the way they've cast the boundaries. Which is really interesting because uh, President Obama, when he first came, like in his first 
four years of office, uh, I'll say first two years of office, he um, he signed off on more drone strikes than President Bush had in his entire his entire presidential eight year presidential tenure. So it's yeah. like you know. Um, how come how come conservatives don't give President Obama props, so to speak, for doing conservative things that are associated with conservatism? So it's it's interesting that, that that's what I said. That that narrative began at the beginning that he can do no right. And and I think myself included, uh, on, on a personal level, I don't think he's been a very uh, like good democratic president. Um, he's he's crossed into a lot of conservative uh, thought processes, and what he got elected on initially was a very progressive agenda, and he really didn't follow through with a lot of that. So he, he a lot of Democrats feel disenfranchised as well, and so at best, I think he's a very centrist, um, exactly. mediocre president overall. So it's so surprising, really. Uh, so it's it surprises me as to how vitriolic. The conservatives are, and particularly when they say stuff like Obama's destroyed this country. And, and I want to point and say, like, what did he do? Because from my standpoint, he hasn't done a lot, no. particularly in terms of pushing a progressive agenda, which is what you would think a conservative would say he's destroyed the country about. But he really hasn't pushed that. So what has he done that's destroyed the country? And I don't I don't quite understand in total where that comes. Well, I, I do understand so where it comes from, but it's really interesting and kind of strange how they can actually maintain that <laughs> yeah because they don't really like to be questioned but yeah one thing about the political correctness thing um yeah. why i tie that into the anti-intellectual anti-intellectualism thing is that when they say that well i'm not being political i just i just don't like being political correct they're actually they're obfuscating political correctness before uh intelligence you know mm -hmm. it's intelligent to not um, kill, maim, mutilate the families of someone you think that they are a terrorist and stuff. It's just simply intelligent, you know? So, so, so these things, you know, to understand that Mexicans are not bad or evil or uh, to understand that black folks are uh, not bad and evil and stuff like that, these are, it's just more intelligent to do. You don't sit there and just act a fool. You don't sit there and, uh, get a you know a, like a fake, fake fake statistics off of a um race a race, white supremacist website and put it in your twitter and said you know it was, it, was a, it was something that donald trump had that cited that 90 93 percent of the murders upon white people are done by black people which is kind of impossible i mean for that to actually exist i think i think you would visually like you know the world will visually see it you know it's 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 it was impossible statistic and it was wrong but yeah, but but I mean, so so what's well, interesting, and I was just uh, listening to something earlier today on this, which is that uh, I could actually see that statistic being true that that ninety percent of of black people kill other black people. But it's it's likely, and this, this is the case no, with the statistics whoa, whoa. That I saw. But yeah, hold on, black people. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Yeah, that that, that uh, they would talk about black and black crime. That it's like ninety percent of black people, ninety percent of black homicides are committed by other black people. Well, no shit, because eighty-five percent of of white murders are committed by other white people. Because where do you live? We don't live in in, in a totally uh, you know heterogeneous society. People tend to live in neighborhoods with people of the same race. So yeah, it's it's, it's like saying. 
you're most likely to get an accident within five miles of your, your, your there's a 90% chance if you're in an accident, it's going to be within five miles of your house. Well, no shit. <laughs> you, you mostly drive within five miles of your house. So of course that's going to be the case, right? So, so saying, you know, what about the white on white crime? If 85% of white people kill other white people, well, that seems like a big problem then. Because if it's the other yeah. way around, that's also a big problem, right? Yeah, the statistic was saying that white folks, like 90% of the time white folks die, you know, but get murdered is by a black person. That was what it was saying. Oh, really? Oh, really? I did, yeah. I did yeah. not hear yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it was really... The thing, okay, um, the thing about it is that when a political contender does something like that, you know, they're engaging in... Um, the psychology of uh you know you know dog whistle politics you know like they have that plausible deniability of uh engaging in racism but i didn't do it or i'm not responsible and stuff like that but that mental priming has already been poked you yes. know what i mean mm -hmm. it's almost yes, like it. it's like it's like you know I, when i teach uh, anti-racism it's like this it's like um if i were to message you on my phone and your ringer goes off you get the message, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, if I were to message you on your phone and it's on vibrate, you still get the message, right? Yeah. So, like, whether it makes a sound or not, the message is still received. So that's yeah. that's pretty much how that how that works. So, um, you know, it's just oh god, man, that that right there, that that's it's. I, I hold folks to fault to the shit they do, and um, I don't I'm not gonna let that one go. Um, the way he handled that, you know, he handled he handled it with no responsibility whatsoever, you know. And I'm like, what happened to the conservative talking point about taking responsibility and stuff? How come that doesn't exist in regards to um, things that are racist and stuff like that, you know? So that you know, it's your Twitter page. Well, I don't run my Twitter. Someone else does it in my campaign, but it's still yours. It's like you placed yeah. that idiot there, so. You are still responsible. This is the reason why. This is the reason why coaches and you know, are fired from the NFL when they lose horrifically. They do something horrifically stupid. You know, the you know it's it's you run the shit. So yeah, it, that just that just blows my mind. Um, yeah, what were you about to say? Uh, no, no, continue. Um, one thing that uh, comes across when um, I'm, I'm engaging, I'm talking to uh, conservatives and stuff is that they would say something like they'll do they'll do some type of pivot they'll do mm -hmm. some form of projection and say well well hillary clinton or bernie sanders is the same way or similar to that and it's just categorically false there's no no point arguing how they're not like that i mean is is not as kind of force but but one one point is standing one one thing i want to touch up is uh is how come is is that line of thinking could trump exist in the Democratic Party, what's your thoughts on that? He couldn't because this is why I said that I think Trump is is the 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 extreme end of what the Republicans have been trying to do for a long time, which is to legitimize raw emotion over facts and logic. Trump is totally uh, content and and quite happy and praises himself over the fact that he makes shit up. Like, yeah, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I made that up. So what? Everybody paid attention to me. That's great. Right. So, no, you, you, you can't exist in a Democratic Party because his entire thing, his entire spiel is that he makes stuff up. 
and 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 just runs on on whatever he feels like saying in that moment there there is no there is no evidence behind the things he says at all so he couldn't exist in a democratic party all right so what you're saying is that uh that um his his um the way he functions is incongruent with um democratic politics you know the the politics of the democratic party yes uh, which which i mean on a not such a a judgmental way uh is not a party generally that at least their base the base of the democratic party does not support personal attacks as a whole it's not the way the party functions um and, and you see and you see candidates that attempt to use those tactics Whereas on the Republican side, in general, if you go personal, if you attack the people, I mean, you know, uh, Trump called, uh, I forget the specific comment, but he, he made comments about Carly Fiorino's looks and about Jeb Bush's wife. If you do that on the Democratic side, people look really down on that. So, so the base, what the base supports and what they're looking for is totally different. And so you couldn't use any of his tactics on the other side or, or most of the Republican ones that use personal attacks. Hillary Clinton just started using a rather vicious negative attacks with Bernie Sanders. And that's actually backfiring her already. And it's only been two weeks, right? It just, it wow. doesn't, it's not supported in the Democratic Party. What did she say about Bernie Sanders? I haven't, uh, I haven't gotten that one yet. Well, she's she's currently saying that that uh, she actually got her daughter out to support her in this. That he's going to and to quote, he's going to dismantle Obamacare and dismantle Medicare and Medicaid and rip away all all of people's health care, so they're not going to have any health care anymore. Uh, and saying that he's not tough on Wall Street and he's not being upfront and he's lying to the people about what his Wall Street plan is, uh, which is unequivocally false. I mean, there most of that's flat out lies overall but uh she's using that as a campaign tactic which is backfiring oh yeah it seems like the dems uh prefer a little more substance over um you know that that type of approach but yeah i i agree though um like the way trump operates is incongruent with the democratic party perhaps before like pre-civil rights era oh absolutely yeah. i mean they were the conservatives of course Mm-hmm. But um, but now, absolutely not. I don't see how that would really work. Um, um, what's another thing I want to talk about? Uh, okay, well, the Democratic Party, you know, the party, two parties, right? Um, a lot of times, the Republican Party like to, you know, they like to get jollies off the fact that Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. They like to, like, state, even though it's, it's false, that uh, Martin Luther King was a Republican and... They try to get, try to, you know, attain credit for, you know, pre-civil rights Republican Party um, associations and uh, things, but they don't really engage in, um, engage in those things now. And uh, I was wondering, what what do you think of, what do you think of that? Like, how come they don't, why do you think that, 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 that no one really like, you know, spot checks them there, like fact check them on, on that and stuff like that? Uh, I, I think it comes from, uh, again, the, the I mean, I keep repeating kind of the same thing, but I mean, you, you saw it uh, within the Republican debates where Megyn Kelly actually uh, called out uh, Trump on several issues uh, related to to women's rights and things he said related to them, and 
uh, not just that, but in other debates, the Republicans got hissy over the fact they were being called out. And they said, oh, well, we're oh just not going to have debates. We're not going to have debates with you anymore because you fact check us. That's oh not my. cool. You can't fact check yeah. us. And, and this, this just comes down to, again, what they're trying to do is legitimize the perspective that you can say whatever you want, you can make up whatever you want, and that that in and of itself should be a legitimate political position that you can take on an issue, which is I get to make up stuff. And if you and you should not be allowed to call me out on it, because if you call me out on it, you're being biased. Oh, my God. That's, that's um, the position. That's the position they're taking. Yeah. And, um, and it's and it works, too, because they're the ones that end up at the end of the day paying for those new stations bills because they bring in the money. Here's another thing I want to point out. Um, how come liberals don't really call them out on their bullshit the way they should? I mean, I do, but I'm a consequentialist. I'm not exactly liberal. Um, but, you know, and I'm like, yeah. but how come like liberals in general don't just flat out like call these guys out on their bullshit? Just like, bam, it just, how come they allow that? Like, to me, it seems like what I observe is that liberal, like the political liberal, like liberals of power, in general, generally yeah. speaking, they allow um, conservatives to uh, create the narrative on stuff, like say, um, you know, on racism and stuff. You know, um, if a liberal points out racism somewhere, the uh, conservative will say that's race, that's race baiting, you know, and then the liberal just backs down and like not fact check the guy further, not analyze and assess how and why they do they say these things they don't like say that's a straw argument that's nonsense and they just back down and just keep it from there like like to me it seems like conservatives they frame the the the, the discussion on everything like everything is built on their frame first like if this was a chess game between the, like republicans and democrats or conservatives and liberals you know the conservatives always they they make the rules and uh, no one ever questions these rules they make or the fact that they are making, they're making these rules up as they go along. Why is that? How come liberals don't just say, that's bullshit, race baiting, what white, you, you're only saying that just to shut me up. I'm gonna continue and, here, and here's my point and keep on going. Like, how come they don't do that? It's, it's, it's a really good question. And I don't think you're the first person that's raised up. I mean, historically, I don't know how that actually started that, that the role of the Democrats to be on the defensive perpetually. Um, but it certainly is the case. And, and what it's resulted in over time uh, is that the country or, or the political, no, maybe not the country, but the political system has slowly shifted to the right as the right has been allowed to become significantly more right and conservative and batshit crazy when you get the Trumps all the way out to Trumps. And the left has moved more toward the center because progressive so those very progressive views on what those mean and how you interpret and define them have the narrative has come from the right so it's forced the left because they won't stand the ground to move more towards the center so you get the point now that if you look at where the middle is today or uh where the middle is today the middle in politics is well on the conservative side if you look at what's considered middle of the road yeah so um that's why I think there's a little bit of hope in terms of just reestablishing balance that Bernie Sanders, whether or not he wins or not, has forced uh, progressive thought to become more, 
more uh, objective and respected in terms of the debate and kind of pulled that political discussion mo more towards the center again. Because if you look at what he's ended up doing with Hillary Clinton, he's forced her to start to espouse more progressive positions as well, which I can guarantee you, if he hadn't entered the race, she'd be sitting pretty as a, as a moderate conservative who claims to be a Democrat. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. As a matter of fact, um, that's the reason why I like Bernie Sanders. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm looking for balance and I'm, I'm looking for balance in the force. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I already clearly identified there's an issue on how conservatives frame everything and liberals always, uh, you know, they always tuck their tails in. And, uh, they're mm -hmm. punks. You know, yeah. these guys, they get out thugged out by conservatives and they, they just punk out. So, um, you know, like, okay, like from a political standpoint, you know, say something like, you know, liberal, you know, or or socialist, and that's demonized, and, and everybody allows them to demon, like, they, they, everyone allows them to uh, invent that context, and everybody goes by the context, and they, they play defensive, like, oh, I'm not a liberal, or I'm not a socialist, or I'm not this, and, and it's like, but if you are, then you are. And, and Bernie Sanders is just nonchalantly like, well, yeah, I'm a socialist, so what? Yeah, of course, yeah. you can call me that. Yeah, I'm a liberal. And that's what I was. That's what I look for in liberals. That's that's what I've been waiting for. Like, how come, how come uh, Democrats are always on defense and uh, defending is not is, is not politically is not a really great spot to be at. You know, for you know thirty odd years and whatnot. So yeah, though that's uh, I think that you know Bernie Sanders is going to restore uh, you know uh, balance to the force, so to speak. He's yeah, and, and Jedi, Jedi terminology. Yes, and I think he does. I mean, if you look at the polling right now, he's he's most. I mean, it's very early, but he's most likely to to make a run of things at this point uh, if things continue to trend the way that they are. But even like I said, even if he doesn't win, he has done the country a great service in pulling things back toward the center because he's reestablished what it means to be a progressive. Exactly. That's precisely what I'm talking about. Because if if you have an identity, right, whether it's a literal identity or a political identity, um, the fact that if you allow someone else to invent what your identity means, you're going to suffer. You're you are going to suffer, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's almost like in the military. You know, I'm a military vet as well. As far as I, if I gain more followers, they 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 know this. Um, in the military, there's this phrase. The states uh, paraphrasing a bit. It says, "It says, don't let someone else, you know, guide your career. Don't let someone else, you know, um, you know, make your, you know, pretty much um, decide wherever you go or stay or where, wherever you are in your career. Don't let someone else make career decisions for you, and uh, don't put yourself in that position. And it's something like, you know, don't get in trouble where someone else has to like." punish you or kick you out <laughs> and um you know this kind of like proves true here you know overall don't let these other folks identity you know you know uh create your identity and stuff and uh it's, it's troubling if you just allow that to happen yeah and i think likely that just comes down to uh leadership uh, there's and uh, integrity driven leadership is probably the case when you come to politics as well, because, you know, everyone always talks about how the Republicans are bought and paid for. Right. But you know what? A lot of the Democrats are, too. 
And, exactly. and, and what the last thing that the people that are buying the politicians want is, is for them to be espousing positions like Bernie Sanders is like, like break up the banks. We're going to we're going to stop you and, and stop your power grab at all. So so that's I think that's probably a large part of what's driving it. So is the lack of integrity driven leadership in politics overall, not left or right, is that's what's caused the imbalance is because the people driving the narratives are in are in the end behind the scenes driving things toward more of an oligarchical society and that that's their ultimate aim yes man i have to agree okay um okay what i'm gonna do right now is bring the show to a close so uh steve you know what I like, you know, I, you know, I like to say give him a round of applause, but I like to uh, give a special shout out to Steve James coming through. He uh, he's a research psychologist. He he's been a good friend of mine for a good, you know, a couple of years. And uh, I love the fact that he's on this show, sh you know, sharing his knowledge. And that's what we on the Soul Brother Number One of a Kind and Honest Truth wish to be all about, you know, sharing that knowledge. So yes, though. Uh, like the you know, give a large round of round of applause for uh, Steve James for showing up for this show here. And uh, overall, Steve, do you have any um, final things to uh, state or claim? Uh, be critical, question everything. That's about it. Be critical and question everything. I totally agree, and this is the reason why um, you know we exist as is on this show. Well, okay, that's it. And this is uh, Johnny Silvercloud, the soul brother number one of a kind. Got some for your soul and some for your mind. I'd be that candy yam eating, big booty technique soul brother that you all like no other. So uh, we're going to be head out here. And, uh, you know, if you if you are a voting person out there, voting citizen of the United States, please engage in critical thinking and uh, vote responsibly. Peace, 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 peace. peace.